Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This podcast exists because of the paid members at decodingtv.com. Become a paid member today and support the work that we're doing here, recapping shows like Andor and The White Lotus. Get ad-free episodes Exclusive access uh, to episodes early as well as bonus segments that we'll record just for you. Thanks to everyone at DecodingTV.com for making this podcast possible. So, my friend, the garrison at Aldani, was that you? I was just about to ask you the same thing. You'd never tell me if it was. Somebody's sitting on some dash. Well, if that someone is you, I'm hoping you'll put it to good use. Would I be out here in the cold... If I had just pinched a hundred million credits? <laughs> that's exactly what you do. And that's exactly what I would say if I were you. If you're trying to convince me it was you, it's working. Let's agree. It was a masterpiece. Wow, now I'm sure. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding TV, a podcast about television. I am David Chen. And I'm Patrick Willems. On today's podcast episode, we're going to be discussing Season 1, Episode 8 of Andor, entitled Narkina 5. This episode was directed by Toby Haynes, written by Bo Willimon. Incredible pedigree for this episode. Uh, Bo Willimon, the creator of House of Cards. He, yeah. Um, so the, the, the U.S. The cre- version, I should say. Yeah, I know. They got the creator of House of Cards to be a staff writer <laughs> on the show. I know, right? Like, like the staff writers on the show are like, okay, the creator of House of Cards and the writer director of Nightcrawler. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Not yeah. bad. It's not not bad at all. Not bad at all. You can always find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. Uh, email us at decodingtv at gmail.com and find us on YouTube, TikTok, and Twitter at decodingtv. Uh, before we get to Season 1, Episode 8, Patrick, uh, we got a ton of feedback from last week's episode of Let's the Let's find out what I was wrong about this time. <laughs> well, uh, not that much that you were wrong about, but I do think that, first of all, a lot of comments about uh, Karn and the Karn tent. People, people love the Karn tent. What can we say? Right? It's sweeping the nation. This it's sweeping uh, the nation. It, like, uh, the word Karn tent, it's verbal wildfire. <laughs> People were very disappointed that we missed out on an opportunity to use the phrase carnage after well, the events of episode three of the show. Here's the thing. Yeah. I don't think we missed out on – well, I bet there will be more carnage, and we will, <laughs> we will have opportunities <laughs> to talk about mm-hmm. that carnage. Mm-hmm. Are people very into uh, the ship? Yeah. With people uh, are, Karn people and Dendromero? We had discussed different names for what the Karn Dendromero ship might be. Didrarn, Mural, you know. Um, I, I really think Kiro is like the way to go. It's okay. nice and simple. Uh, it's easy to pronounce. Um, I'm going with Kiro from here. And uh, okay, just gonna, not not just not to jump ahead of ourselves, but uh, this is a big Kiro episode. <laughs> Patrick's putting all his chips on the Kiro name for the Didrarn Mural Cyril Karn ship. 
And hopefully everyone will get on board on that ship. Okay. Uh, so a few comments and follow-ups from last week's episode of uh, the podcast and the show. Obviously, last week's episode was called Announcement. Also, I got a bunch of comments saying, hey, David Chen, you were right to describe that episode's title as not very good because a lot of people saw that episode pop up in their feeds and were like, oh, do Patrick and David have an announcement? But no, it was just the are name they of canceling the, the podcast? Yeah, they, is this the end of the show? You know, wait. Um, did, do you think it got more people to listen to uh, because they were like, "Oh, something serious happened." I got, I, I got to see what this announcement is. I hope so. I hope. Yeah, so. I, I will say thank. I, I, I'm glad that Andor decided to have a a normal title this episode, as in a title that sounds very Star Wars specific and will lead to no confusion. Uh, I agree. I agree. Okay. Uh, also, you, you know, so here are some follow-ups from last week's episode called Announcement, right? Uh, a lot of people compared the scene where Clem is apprehended and then eventually murdered uh, to the Boston Massacre um, as kind of a thing that started accidentally and also both things took place in winter. Um, so I think it's – and also presumably helped to kickstart a revolution. So like I think there was some parallels there that people brought up that I don't think we brought up last week. So I just wanted to call that out. Another thing from last week that I want to bring up is the soundtrack for the first few episodes of Andor were released on streaming services. Uh, and in particular, there's a track called Nyamos that I got to say, uh, it slaps. It's called, the track is called Nyamos Morlana Club Mix. I love it. Have you listened to it, Patrick? Oh, of course. Yes, uh, yes. I, I, I mean, because uh, I think as soon as last week's episode came out, I tweeted about, like, when is Nicholas Bertel's Nyamos music coming out? And so multiple friends, like, texted me the link as soon as yeah. it dropped. Because um, it, it wasn't it, like, on, like, Spotify and music yeah, streaming I, I listened to it. I've listened to it, like, 50 times on Apple Music already. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, – but it, it – it was like the scores for like the first three episodes and then also Nyamos, right? Uh, it's episodes one through four, including oh. – Yeah, and, and then and, and then Nyamos because Nyamos was episode six, uh, right? right? So, or uh, seven. Seven, seven, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so he, uh, he broke the continu- – Nicholas Bertel broke the soundtrack continuity to give us Nyamos early, you know? I think he knew that he had to. He, it, he that knew was... he had the, the uh, equivalent of a score goldmine. In in his pocket, I mean, he I mean, share it with the world. That's the single. Yeah, 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 yeah. Totally, totally. Okay, but anyway, check out Nicholas Patel's score. It's very good. I've listened to the whole thing. It's really, really. Uh, there's certain moments in the show that gave me chills, and uh, listening to the music like reminded me of those moments. It's a great score. So we got a bunch more follow ups, and you know, I, I have gotten there is there is uh, one of my. Um, advisors friends and advisors has cautioned me against using too many follow-ups at the beginning of the show people just want to hear the recap uh to which i say these follow-ups are too good i'm sorry i need to read them so i apologize if you're if you are listening to this you know who you are um but i gotta get to these follow-ups because they're so good okay here we go 
Um, Captain Galactic at youtube.com slash decoding TV uh, commented the following. Something I think is important in the Marva Cassian scene is how Marva was radicalized by the idealized vision of the heist as a bunch of heroes taking on the empire for the good of the galaxy. However, Cassian knows the reality of the heist, a bunch of people who only half knew what they were doing, stealing money, and then most of them died and one of them was willing to betray the rest for money. I think that's a big reason why Marva doesn't get through to him because he's just thinking you don't know what it was really like. It's a good point. Yeah, it's a good point. I think we touched upon this last week about how like actions that people take, they don't necessarily understand the full significance of them and how they can like, reverberate, right? Um, you know, sometimes it's incredibly intentional and thought through and everyone, uh, everyone's on the same page. But more often than not, it is a ragtag crew or not everyone's aligned. And um, uh, But yeah, it's a great sort of call out of why Marva and Cassian might be feeling differently. And obviously something that continues to have resonance in this episode. Yeah. It's also like, it's funny, like her idealized version, she's basically imagining that this heist was was pretty much just like all the stuff in the original trilogy. Yeah. Yeah. She might as well be imagining like, you know, Luke Skywalker, like crusading in there, like, yeah. do, like do it, doing what's right uh for like the most moral purposes and then and then piecing out yeah does make uh, you wonder that like uh during the like, during the the events of the original trilogy were there other more like aldani-esque things happening on the fringes without the mm-hmm. main characters like that thing that Mon Mothma said many Bothans died to get us yeah. this information. Do you think those Bothans were a bunch of mercenaries mm-hmm. uh, that were, mm-hmm. you know? That, I think that w- some of them were. Some of them were, probably were. You know, maybe. maybe. So I'm sure. Like honestly, the way Star Wars goes, I'm sure we'll get like a some streaming miniseries about that in like three years. Uh, on last week's episode of the podcast, Patrick, you commented on the character of I think Wolf Yularen. Um, is that what his first name is? Yes. Yeah. Wolf, but with two U's. Yeah. Um, Wolf Yularen shows up on last week and this week's episode of Andor. And uh, Jazz Tekka comments, I was so happy to hear Patrick catch Yularen being an important character. Specifically, Yularen was the admiral of Anakin's fleet in Clone Wars. He's a pretty significant character throughout the show, voiced by Tom Kane. He's also the narrator of Clone Wars. Yularen makes a brief appearance in Rebels 2. As for his rank, at some point, Yularen becomes a colonel of the ISB, which I believe is what we see in Andor. What I love the most about the show is that uh, it does the same thing with him as they do with the fun little Easter eggs in Luthen's shop he subtly introduced. No musical or visual cues as to his importance unless you recognize him from his mustache or watch with the closed captions on. He's another tie between Andor and the broad story of Star Wars without detracting from the show or the scene itself. End quote. Uh, totally agreed. Great call out, Patrick. And yeah, Wolfie Lauren, a, a very important character throughout Star Wars that's very subtly uh, introduced in the show Andor, right? Also, for me, another reminder that at some point soon, I really need to get back and actually watch the rest of Clone Wars. Mm. So, uh, you know, I, I, I guess I have more of the connective pieces. I started watching it um, right before the pandemic broke out. Uh, and then I think because all our schedules got thrown off, I just got out of the habit of watching it. I think I'd gotten up to like season four. Mm-hmm. So I should finish yeah. that. All right. And Kieran uh, writes about the K2SO-esque droid that we saw last episode, right? Uh, quote, I want to add a few thoughts on the appearance of the droid that looked like K2SO on Space Miami in episode seven. 
That droid type is a KX series droid, an Imperial security droid that has appeared in stories set in this time period since Rogue One introduced them back in 2016. Although they haven't appeared much, one of their biggest appearances was in the game Jedi Fallen Order, guarding Wookiee slave encampments on Kashyyyk. As to whether or not that specific droid is K2, as some fans have speculated, I have my doubts. The meeting between K2 and Cassian was recounted in a tie-in comic to Rogue One that took place in 2 BBY, which is three years out from where we are now in Andor. However, it wouldn't be the first time a canon comic was changed in a Disney Plus Star Wars series. The origins of Star Wars Rebels character Canon Jarrus were recounted in a comic titled Kanan before being retconned recently in the animated series The Bad Batch. Let me just pause right here during this comment and say... Unless Kieran is wrong, he clearly he or she clearly knows what they're talking about. And so yes. I'm very impressed by the canon knowledge of Star Wars. Okay. It does also make me wonder if uh, since the meeting between Cassian and, and K2SO has already been shown in other material, that because we know that in season two, apparently every arc is going to like jump forward a mm. year in time. Yeah. If they're going to just skip over that and at some point just be like, oh, the yeah, new they're, already okay. buddy, they're already buddies. A year later, or K2SO like that, yeah. is here. Yeah. Anyway, to continue Kieran's comment, though he may still not appear this season, as K2's actor, Alan Tudyk, may have been busy recording lines for Optimus Prime in the upcoming series Transformers Earthspark uh, while this was being made. I do think he'll appear at some point, as in Rogue One, they seem pretty close. It would be like writing Night of the Coconut, which you can watch now on Nebula, great film, Patrick, without Patrick's parents. They seem too close to each other to leave out. And I do trust this creative team to work him into the show in an interesting, well-thought-out way, given what we've seen so far. Uh, so far, However, I do think that the droid appearing gives some good thematic weight, even if it isn't K2SO specifically. As we saw on the scene and on Kashyyyk, if you played that game, these droids are strong and brutal, and using them on Andor for a crime he didn't commit helps to effortlessly portray the uncaring brutality of the, em- uh, the Empire at this time, and by extension, other fascist regimes, the Empire parallels. It does something the show has been pretty good at. Reusing pre-existing imagery to convey the, show's, uh, th- the new show's themes. Plus, these droids just look cool. <laughs> End quote. Um, really thoughtful, amazing comment from Kieran. And One of the best comments we've ever received, I think. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you so much for all that knowledge and insight, Kieran. And, and um, great opinions as well. Yes. Really, yes. really strong uh, opinions that I agree with. DecodingTV at gmail.com. Obviously, we are also reading comments at youtube.com slash DecodingTV. Uh, but that is the follow-up from last week's episode of Andor. Okay, Patrick Willems. Let's dive into the show. Let's do Season it, one, Jen. episode eight, entitled Narkina 5. Overall thoughts, I always like to start with Patrick. Um. I'm a broken record. Uh, I really like this episode. It was really good. I really like the show. I, w- I will say that, that this <laughs> boring. Is, I know. Oh, uh, uh, they just they like it again. Pfft, mm-hmm. Turning this one off. Yep. Um, uh, a thing that I think is kind of funny about Andor, uh, a show that I, I just think is great that I'm a big fan of is that was just kind of occurring to me at the end of this episode. Um. Outside of the the third epi- the concluding episodes and the arcs, these episodes don't really tend to like have endings. Mm-hmm. They really just like the credits come up and you just kind of go, oh, oh, I guess I guess that's the end of the episode. I, I will say I agree with you. Like they they feel like we're ending in the middle of a story, uh, because we are in some ways. But and, and we are you know this is the the next three episode or the beginning of the next three episode arc according to Donny Gilroy as you pointed out last week. 
But I will credit the show as uh, there's generally a good vibe when you end the episode. Not When I say good, I don't mean positive. I mean um, like a thoughtful vibe. Like there's, there's a specific purpose to why they chose to end it with that shot. I'm, I'm, right. I'm, I'm, I'm left leaving the theater of my house, you know, on a specific mood that they're trying to convey. Uh, but I agree with you that it does feel like mid-story we're ending, right? Oh, so. yeah. And, and again, this is not really a complaint. Uh, it is just like it, – it's here's the thing. It's the kind of thing that would annoy me in a less good show. Yeah. Totally. But I think Andor is able to get away with it because I'm so compelled to keep watching because I'm so interested in everything that's going on. I will say this – in this episode, um, a, a big change from the previous episode – um, because last episode I was talking about how, like, you know, I, it's amazing to me how, uh, how Mon Mothma is like, you know, maybe the, like the most interesting character on the show. And I'm so fascinated by everything that's happening with her, her sneaky politicking at dinner parties. And this, uh, in this episode, I mean, she's not in it that much, but I was like, oh, this was a change. The, the Mon Mothma Coruscant stuff I thought was the least interesting part of this episode and I thought the Cassian stuff was genuinely the most interesting. Yes, yes. This is um, the one – I mean, I, uh, this, despite what you're saying, though, Cassian maybe has like eight lines in this whole episode, I think. Um, so it is really impressive what they're able to do with him. Um, but yeah, the stuff the, – the Cassian storyline is really, really fascinating. I, I mean, this episode was incredible, in my opinion, because – I feel like every week we're like introduced to these whole new worlds that we had never even certainly a new planet, but also like or new planets, but also just the idea of I mean, Patrick, I would be shocked if the people who created this episode were not at least partially inspired by the John Woo film starring Nicolas Cage and John Travolta face off. Famously, uh, one of your favorite movies. Uh, not only that, but also it contains a prison called Erewhon Prison, which is nowhere spelled backwards, um, and in which uh, people like the the makeup of the prison itself is crucial to uh, keeping the prisoners subjugated uh, and uh, disciplined. Yes, um, uh, where where, where th- that also involves boots and special floors. Yeah, yeah, b- boots. But it's the inverse this time, Patrick. It's like it's like, hey, th- that that uh, arrow on prison in Face Off was like totally crude. Like getting these prisoners to wear these he- heavy boots. What if the whole prison was electrified? You know, like uh, incredible, incredible concept, incredible like design, like just like production design and everything. It's like we're, it's a whole new world, a whole different look. The like, uniforms are different than everywhere else. We and then. Gollum shows up leading Andor's path. I think this is like also, a surprise also, casting, right? Uh, yeah, I don't think anyone knew about this. But also, Andy Serkis has already played, in very recent memory, a major <laughs> character in Star Wars. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. You know, obviously, he is Supreme Leader Snoke. I mean, and- how, do you know, how do you know that he's not Supreme Leader Snoke in this show, Patrick? Well, you know, maybe that's what David. Kino, as we all remember yeah. from uh, from the 2019 film Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker, uh, Snoke was a, a a clone, and there were a bunch of him in tanks. <laughs> they had they grew Snoke in a vat. It's true. It's oh, true. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry to bring up that movie. <laughs> um, but uh, I, the thing is, Andy Serkis is obviously like the king of 
motion capture performances, usually playing creatures and animals. And I'm genuinely happy for Andy Serkis whenever he gets to play a human. And uh, and I'm like, oh, you didn't have to wear a weird spandex suit and, and put dots all over your face. But we actually get to, like, look at you for a change. It, that's true. I mean, I felt that way years ago, Patrick. But, I mean, he's been in, like, a bunch of Marvel stuff at this point. I feel like we're actually getting to finally appreciate Andy Serkis as a talented actor in his own right. He was days. Alfred yeah. this year. But, yes, but, but again, yes. it, it's nice that he's able to – considering that he already had a major role in Star Wars – but not looking anything like himself. I'm glad that he gets to co- to have a second chance in Star mm-hmm. Wars, but like where we can see him. This does this make up for Snoke, Patrick? Do you think? No, I'm just I'm not going to ask you that question. No, it's but. um. I mean, uh, I think I think he's really good uh, as Snoke. Uh, yeah. At least at least in, in in one of the two movies that he's in, he gets to give an actual performance. Yes. Um, but I uh, but no, I mean, what's fun about this pl- I mean, there's so much that's fun about this planet, but it's like it's again, it's one of these situations where we're always talking about what's good about the show is that everything is so fully realized, all the characters seem so three dimensional, and we have Cassian coming into this new place where there's already like there are dynamics between the people there. There's yes. a, they, they've been doing this for a long time. Yeah. He and yeah. he's just he's trying to fit in and like acclimate himself to the way everything works here and catch up and learn the rules. And we're like, oh my god, another another fully realized place that 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 runs in a certain way. Uh, it's like I'm just like I, I could have I would have been fine if the whole episode were just Cassian on his own there learning how the prison works yeah well like, that's, even, that is what a lot of the episode is but yeah well, here but, let's let's get let's yeah, get to it yeah. we'll get to it we'll get to it we'll get to it also um, also so, uh you, you asked me uh major thoughts about the episode the content in this episode <laughs> yes. the 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 hero content in this yes. episode mm-hmm. oh my mm-hmm. god when when karn is in that interrogation room and then dead ramiro walks in i'm like this this is the moment I have been waiting for. Look it's at totally. Look totally. at the at these these two young fascists who don't know <laughs> it yet, but they are gonna fall in love. Yep, a hundred percent. A hundred percent. So let's start. We're gonna start with all the non Narkina five stuff, and then we're gonna go to the Narkina five stuff. So we'll start with the Karn tent. We're at the Imperial Standards Bureau. Karn is working along this massive bay of computers. Uh, every time you see it, it's always impressive, like how stultifying and oppressive this atmosphere is, and how you're just really a cog in the machine. Uh oh, Karn is in trouble. A bunch of people show up. The principal's office showing up to pull him out of his job. Um, so the ISB people are here. Yep, the ISB people here. They pull him out, and Dedramira walks in, and it's like, holy crap! Plot lines intersecting. We learn from Dedramira that she has continu- that Karn has continued continued to submit requests to the Bureau of Data Standards, looking for information on Cassian Andor, and he's basically said a bunch of things about Cassian that are lies, like. Cassian's, you know, has done this or is is this kind of person is representing himself in well, this way. I um, think the ahead. important thing here is because 
he works in what is it like the, the department of of fuel purity or whatever yes so all he all he can do is like send requests and messages within the organization within the bureau of standards and so he's just sending messages saying that like that cassian andor is some is an engineer or whatever he's doing it within like the official guidelines as if cassian is another employee uh but he's just being like ha- unresponsive engineer or like i i i have not right. heard back from this guy like because he can't actually formally uh make a request to like to the isb or anything like that mm-hmm. so he's he's just basically sending weird suspicious message uh, suspicious suspicious messages within his bureau just to try to get their attention which he mm-hmm. eventually succeeds in doing he has filed five false inquiries, we are told by Dedra. Up and six as of six this morning. As of this morning. And uh, she says, you having, I love the terminology. Like she says, you have engaged the curiosity of the ISB, end quote. You know, which is like, it doesn't, when you just read that statement on its own, it's not a threatening statement, but the way in which, like, that's like basically like one of the worst things you could do, right? Um, Karn reveals that he wasn't allowed to see the report uh, because he was forced to sign it because of the whole accident that happened in episode three. Um, also, something something in common now, uh, both both Karn and Dedramiro, they don't like Blevin. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, because he's like, wh- wh- where's Blevin? Because he's probably someone that Karn had spoken with before. No, or Blev- Blevin right? was the guy who fired him. Oh, right, 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 right. But, but also, like, yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. When but they're also, all lined like, up and Blevin is like, yeah, 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 we, yeah, the right. Empire is taking over uh, the Morlana sector. You guys all screwed up. Um, sign the report. Get out of here. Yeah, that's true. But also, like, um, I, I presume that, you know, Blevin would have been someone that he would expect would have information um, on Andor that he's trying to get, get you know, in some way um, by doing an end run around it. Now, we then get to one of my favorite scenes from the episode, which is Dedra allows Karn to see the report. And then she, her underlings are like, oh, my gosh, on today of all days, it's the big day. And they go to the ISB main meeting room and they uh, are, you, you cut to her mid-presentation. And this scene is awesome because... I have been in a corporate environment before that <laughs> David, is... I, I got to say, it does not speak well of, uh, the, of just America's corporate environments or just corporate environments in general that in literally every episode we do, you can relate so much to the way the empire works because of how much it reminds you of your own experiences. Uh, okay, you know, I, I understand that statement, Patrick. I'm just going to say that I think – that they, you know, the people in the, the, who made the show probably took inspiration from the corporate environments and applied it to the Star Wars Empire. You know, I, I, yes. we, this, is, this is the first we are seeing that the Empire has these levels of bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's not like this was around for decades and then, you know, right. in well, my I, opinion, right? I, I, I think what's interesting about her is that we've j- almost always in prior Star Wars, and I know some people had responded being like, you guys are always talking about how this show is different than other Star Wars things. And, I, 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 and to be clear, I'm not like dissing other Star Wars by being like, oh, thank God, Andor isn't like all that stuff. Um, I'm just saying it is – What part of what's exciting about the show is that it is – 
uh, using this like familiar setting and and and, and just like this familiar material to to do uh, new things with it. That's uh, that's exciting to me. But I uh, um, here, 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 but, oh, sorry. The thing yeah. that I was just going to say is Go that. Ahead. We always basically see the empire as like a military operation, mm-hmm. and that's primary and, and with 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 colonels and generals, and and they're always at war. Um, seeing the empire as more of a corporation, yes, uh, is just it, it's it's a new perspective on it, and I think that's one of the things that is really interesting. Right, right. So I'm not trying to compare any corporation I've worked with to a fascist regime in any way. I'm saying the show has taken inspiration from corporations, in my opinion, right? And uh, in this case, here are elements of this scene that really resonated with me, okay? Number one, you have uh, the stress of giving a big presentation to like a bunch of people, including someone who's very powerful. And also you're, when you give a presentation in general, you're asking for something. You're asking for like resources, which in this case she is, she's asking for a crap ton of stuff, you know, uh, to aid her in her search. So all this preparation, she's super stressed about it, but she has like people helping her out and so on. Part of gas is there. Basically backing her up. And that's generally how this goes. It's not like an underling goes up to the highest person like Wolf. It's usually you have like a sponsor who's like backing you up. And if they're a good manager, um, they will like provide support and chime in and kind of provide the, uh, the perspective that's necessary for the person in charge. But obviously the most like kind of memorable element of the scene is the idea that this is – all Dedra Miro has been working on for weeks. And Wolf Yularen, this is 1% of Wolf Yularen's brain space. Like, uh, Wolf Yularen has other things he's got to do, right? Uh, he is thinking about this thing for 30 to 60 minutes on a Wednesday. It, and I mean, Dedra Miro is thinking about it all the time. This guy's thinking about it for like 30, 60 minutes on a Wednesday. And just like the po- the power disparity, but also just like the mind space disparity it just so perfectly nails what it is like to be in these circumstances in a corporation. He almost seems asleep. Right. Like he doesn't, he doesn't care about what the person's trying to say. He's just like, how is this going to impact me and what I need to do? Right. Um, and so again, I'm not naming any specific company I've ever been part of. I'm just saying as somebody who has been part of companies and has heard tell of them, this scene totally nails what it's like to be in a company. Uh, I will say a, a, a fairly functional company. Like, you know, it's not like, um, not like this is particularly like a terrible arrangement or anything, you know, but uh, ideally the person in charge is like more invested in, in what the underlings are doing. But, but this is a fairly standard, you know, kind of way that a bureaucracy might operate. Um, and the show is kind of positioning you in Dedra Miro's like she, it's making her sympathetic in this scene, which is, as we've said, really remarkable, right? Because she is trying to do something that we all know to be pretty terrible, uh, and we also see in this episode that she's a horrible person, right? Uh, but the show is kind of making, ooh, I hope Dedra. I don't know if you felt it, but I was like, ooh, I hope Dedra like is able to convince the Empire that the rebellion needs yeah. to be squashed. I mean, I feel like we've talked about this before. Yeah. We're like rooting for Dedra to to like 
you know, get one over on Blevin. Yes. Yes. And but it, it's the funny thing where we're rooting for Dedra uh, to to like, okay, I, I I hope she she gets her request for uh, to like drill down on Ferex approved to like get more resources and more of a budget, and then skip over to when she's with Karn and she's, you know. Right. Being pretty rude to Karn, and we're like, "Oh man, I wish Karn would get some respect." Uh, because I, I will to, to jump ahead yeah. to, to the next scene when after yeah. after that that meeting when she's back with Karn, and uh, and Karn like stands up and he's t- being like, "I was good at my job. I I solved a double murder in like just a day or two, and and I'm like, I really care about uh about about serving the empire. I be- I believe um I." I wrote down a couple of his lines. Uh, he says, can one ever be too aggressive in preserving order? And then he says, I could be a valuable asset. Uh, and then she tells him to forget this ever happened and mm-hmm. to go back to his job. And a look. serious blow for Kiro shippers. You know, like it's I, I, I was thinking I was thinking uh, Dedra Miro might be like, OK, Karn, come aboard, prove yourself. But she's like. Never, we never had this conversation. And if you look at me when we pass each other in the hallway, you're dead. You know, like I'm like, hey, how are they? How are Kiro ever going to come together in this environment? You I know, think? you know, you could have said the same thing about Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan half an hour into You've Got Mail, and mm-hmm. look at them at the end of that movie. You I could say I, the same thing about like Romeo and Julia, and look at them at the. Oh wait, is that anyway? I guess it doesn't end well for them. The, 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 also, <laughs> Romeo and Juliet had a lot more working against them because they, you know, Montagues and Capulets on, on, on like opposing sides of a war. These yeah. guys are already on the same side. Yes. They have everything going for them. I think these two, these, these two kids are, are going to work it out. If only they could see how perfect they are for each other, you know? Exactly. Um, but, yeah, but yes. Well, well, uh, I, I think when Karn shows her his cool action figure collection, she'll be really impressed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, Karn does have that line where he says, I was a good deputy inspector, which is like one of the saddest lines I can imagine it's, a character ever speaking in any TV show. It's so pathetic because you can see there where, I mean, they establish it. So he's been uh, at the Bureau of Standards for less than a month. Um, mm-hmm. So we'll say a few weeks. Uh, and And he's been like, He's just desperately like uh, uh, sending uh, sending these requests, uh, just like try to get their attention, and then he they finally come to him. This is his big break, and you can see how like I mean, he's not a guy who's usually gonna like you know stand up and like do unorderly things like uh like you know like he does there shouting like i was i was a good deputy inspector but he's so desperate there because he he can see his his one opportunity to like to to get out of his current position and to like maybe maybe really join the empire he can see that like slipping through his fingers mm, yeah and um obviously this you is got, you gotta shoot week. you know you you miss 100 percent of the shots you don't take exactly is what karn was thinking at the time Look, th- this you know? is not the last we've seen of karn he'll be back <laughs> Uh, other thing to mention about this whole sequence was uh, we learn what Miro knows about Luthen. Uh, Luthen now has a code name, uh, Axis. Axis. Um, and we later learn about Luthen. Like, they, they call him Axis because of, quote, his centrality to the organized rebel effort to acquire this gear, basically. And we learn a little bit about how vast that effort is spreading. Like, he is the guy. He is the dude that's doing the thing, you know, that, that they're talking about. So... Uh, so he is now called Axis. They're on to him, basically. They're on to Luthen. 
Um, so we'll see how that plays out. Okay. And, and uh, Miro is asking Karn about the other guy who was with Cassian, and he just doesn't remember him that well. He's like, he can't even entirely remember, like, the color of the cloak he was wearing. He's like, <laughs> I, I would recognize his voice if I heard yes. it again. He's like, bring me with you uh, to Ferrix. Maybe I can spot him. Here's the question. How is Karn going to intersect with Luthen? He's going to buy his mom. Uh, he wants to buy his mom an antique for his mom's birthday. He goes into Luthen's store, right? And Luthen's like, welcome. What can I find for you today? And then Karn, like, dun, dun, like light goes on for Karn. And then that's how he's going to catch Luthen. I mean, what you're describing does sound like a pretty suspenseful scene of, like, the, just, just the thing of, like, Luthen talking and being a shop yeah. owner as this yeah. guy like puts it together. Yes. Uh I'm imagining like uh like Hank got, sitting on the toilet in Breaking Bad. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, totally. Uh but also um it's it's going to you're going to get a scene of like Luthen uh, sorry, uh Karn's mom demeaning him yeah. and being like, "Hey, I and like she tells him what she wants him to get for her birthday or a special occasion." It's like, "I want you to get me a blah." And he's like, oh, well, there's only one shop that has it, you know? And then they go, and that's how he meets Luthen. That's the my question, guess. The question is, can Karn, even with his current job, really afford anything <laughs> in that store, which looks very expensive? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a good question. It's a good question. Okay. He can browse. Indeed. Uh, we, we should also point out that Karn, like, reads the report, and it, it leads a lot, leaves a lot out of what actually happened, and... Um, so you get a sense that Blevin was really taking some shortcuts there to try to wrap this all up. So, uh, anything else about the Karn Kiro storyline? We're going to get back to Dedra later, but anything else you want to mention about Karn? I think that I think that's it for now. That's um, it for the content. Yeah, I just okay. uh, great content in this episode, and I'm look. This is a this is a huge step toward toward uh, the the Kiro ship sailing. And so, totally, totally, yeah. All right, Coruscant. Bunch of stuff happens in Coruscant. I mean, to um, be fair, this was also all on Coruscant. Yes, that's true. Um, Mon Mothma and Perrin are at a bar. Uh, is that per- is that a bar? It, it's a bar within a thing, a party that is being hosted. I think, right? Yes, I, yeah. and a thing that I'm now fascinated by. Just you know, I. I always like the little details in Star Wars about like their way of life and stuff like that. It seems like there's a special like they have these what looks kind of like champagne, but then there's a thing of like dropping these like live alien worms into them is like oh it's like an extra thing to mix into the drink to like make it stronger and Mon Mothma is declining to have the alien worm added mm-hmm. to hers, but Perrin takes it. Yeah. I just I want to know everything about about these drinks right and he was saying how like oh you used to like this mon and she says maybe i was just better at pretending that i did before you know and um but it's clear i think in this episode that perrin is not only kind of a dick but potentially like a real danger to what mon mothma is trying to to do right Um, And, I mean, we learn that they've been married since they were 15. She's been a senator since she was 16, and they got married a year before that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, They toast, and they say the words Sagrona and then Sagrona Tima, uh, which are Chandrillan toast words, is what Uh I understand. Look look that up. Uh, We see Tay and Perrin meet, 
And Tay basically says to Mon Mothma, it's getting hard to move the money. And and she's like, what about the money I've already moved? And he's, he's like, well, we'll have to figure out a way to explain that somehow, I guess. Um, I did want to give a shout out to the actor who plays Tay on Andor. Um, ben Miles. Ben Miles. He plays Captain Townsend, Peter Townsend in The Crown for many episodes, and he's very good in that show. So I just wanted uh-huh. to say I did, did not even recognize him when we when we saw him uh, a couple last, last week or a couple weeks ago. Uh-huh. But Patrick, you got to see a second. This isn't a dinner party. It's a I guess just a cocktail hour. Yeah. Um, but uh, still a lot of cool outfits, a lot of cool things. You know, got to see some croissant in the background. So you did. I, I I mean, there is a bunch of talk about the view and uh, yeah. from that window. Um, and uh, as as Mon is uh, is just you know mingling and making small talk with you know other guests, uh, just talking about Senate stuff. And uh, th- this was actually. Uh, <laughs> This is barely even a criticism, but the people that Mon is talking to at this party um, was the rare time in this show that – and I mean they're they're barely in the scene. They have like just a few lines of dialogue, but these people did not feel quite as like fully realized and three-dimensional as almost every other random person we meet in this show. They did seem kind of just like, oh, like stock rich people who she, mm-hmm. she's chatting to, but it's also – it's it's very brief, so – but it, well, they talk about the poured, Patrick, as you as you refer to the poured. The uh, what is it? What does it stand for? Um, uh, Public order resentencing directive, which essentially gives the empire vast latitude uh, to administer punishment according to whatever, however it deems fit. And we learn some of the impact of that later on um, Narkina Five. But uh, yeah, this is just this is a, a classic debate about. How much power we give the government um, to administer justice? Uh, to what extent we want peace, and and like what are what civil liberties are we willing to sacrifice in order to get it? It's it's weird. What's fascinating to me about this is like again last week people being like, yeah, I met with the emperor the other day. Like, um, like it's just weird to think of the emperor in meetings and kind of involved in like public policy. Just. You know, discussions. I know this is like a critical part of the prequels, and so like that's good setup for it. But you know, as somebody who grew up watching you know, episode four through six, the Emperor is just kind of like evil dude, right? It's, um, it's, yeah. it's funny to imagine you know Palpatine being like, "Did we receive enough votes for the policy?" <laughs> <laughs> um, what about subsection five zero and the word? I don't like the wording and subordinate clause here. You know, like. Right. It's it's funny to imagine that guy, like the yeah. most evil looking man in the world. Yeah. Just basically uh we're just talking about like uh uh an evil wizard uh going through paperwork <laughs> yeah, uh, and yeah. talking to like his assistants and just doing politics. It's like, no, this is a guy who just shoots <laughs> lightning out of his hands uh and uh and talks to Darth Vader. Like he's like, I have a I have a new idea. And it's like, what 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 Emperor? What's your new idea? Are we gonna are we gonna do a genocide today? And he's like, No, I call it the public order resentencing directive. We're going to give these people sentences so long that and they will suffer so horribly that there will never be crime again. 
which is ultimately my goal, by the way. And it's like, okay, um, wow, that's not really why I signed up for this, but... And also decrease the public transportation budget on Coruscant. <laughs> like, again, I think a funny thing, we don't see much of it, but uh, yeah, yeah. In, in Revenge of the Sith... Uh, before the Palpatine-Yoda battle, Yoda does just show up at his office where he's, like, sitting right. at a desk. And yeah. he's, and at that point, he's all wrinkly and with the hood on and everything. Yeah, it's like... Yeah. It's like it's like no, he sits in a dark throne room uh, because he's just the evil old wizard. Um, this is not a guy who who has to deal with like quarterly reports. Yeah, it's Agreed. again funny to imagine. <laughs> I don't think we're gonna see any of that in the show. I also think it might throw off like the the tone of the show. But uh, it's just fun to think about, you know, Palpatine doing paperwork. Uh, feel free to send us in um, fan art of um, of Palpatine doing paperwork, and uh, we'll, we'll feature it on the Decoding TV Twitter account. Yeah, sorry, David, I'm put, you run that account. I'm putting words in your mouth. Yeah, it's okay. No, I'm I'm open to it. DecodingTV at gmail.com. All right. Anyway, so they're debating the public order resentencing directive, and it's just very clear that that Perrin is starting to be suspicious of what Mon and Tay are doing. Uh, and that's that's about it when oh, it comes to the storyline. We, yeah. we once uh, we once again see uh, Mon's daughter um, <laughs> Lita not liking Mon very much, and well, not liking Tay either, which is also important. No, yeah. uh, I mean she's she's like a teen, you know. Yeah. She doesn't like anybody. She likes her dad. Um, yeah. But uh, I, there was one shot that stuck with me. It's like a wide shot where where Mon is talking to people in the background, and then out of focus in the foreground, we just see uh, Lido walk through eating what looks like a bright green cookie. And um, and I just I just thought it was funny. It's just like it's like like it, it, it's a very green cookie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh- well, why don't we take a, a, a quick break for a moment, Patrick, and talk about where people can find your work if they're really into it. Uh, yes, that sounds great. Um, you know, there's a lot more me talking about movies, but in a more uh, eloquent, scripted form uh, in the videos I make over at YouTube.com slash Patrick H. Willems, where I just released a – you know what? It is technically a feature-length video about the the filmography of Zack Snyder uh, that's been in the works for a long time. Um, and if you want, you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram at Patrick H. Willems. All right. Uh, and obviously, uh, I do want to just point out that uh, if you are interested in supporting this podcast and want to see podcasts like this continue, uh, hear us recap shows like Andor, The White Lotus, and many more on the Decoding TV feed. All you got to do is become a paid member at DecodingTV.com. We really appreciate all of our paid members. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ready to pop the question? 
The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Patrick, Ferrix. Back to Ferrix. You know, we had debated whether or not there was going to be more Ferrix stuff this episode or in this season. Uh, but there's definitely going to be more fair. They they built. They spent millions of dollars and months building that set. They're not going to just let it go to waste. And uh, finally, my boy Brasso is back. Yeah, I, I was so curious. Like, wow, they really took time to introduce Brasso in the first episode. Like, why would they do that? And then, yes, he comes. It's like, okay, after Tim is murdered, they have to get brought. Like. Bix has to have someone else to interact with in the mix. That's the role that Brasso serves, right? Exactly. So. He doesn't do a ton in this episode, but yeah. he's he kind around. Of, he kind of is befuddled by the stormtroopers and kind of uses his big old body to get in the way there. That right. was funny, but yeah. I, um, but yeah, so uh, it seems like we talked about in the last episode how Marva is is really inspired by the Aldani heist and like and rebelling and like finally finally like getting like the 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 courage to uh to at least like n- not necessarily to like be suddenly like you know taking up arms and like killing stormtroopers but at least to maybe in small ways uh resisting and um and we see in this episode uh in the the little bit of time that has passed she uh has been continuing with that where she actually like got hurt while like trying to it seems like pry open um some like what was this exactly did you write this down uh she was trying trying to like pry open yeah. something so so that um i think like at the hotel they've taken over so that the rebellion could get in if they came there yeah. She fell trying to pry open the old Rick's floodgate. That was it. Um, so that rebellions could come in. But but it seems like actually, right, she's kind of uh, almost like in a delusional state to some degree. Maybe yeah. Marva's going to pry open that floodgate and it's going to be okay at the, and the rebellion actually will come through. But like she, she kind of is seem, seeming to be kind of having delusions of – rebellion at this point and in in a bad state this was what i wondered about because she also seems to be like not just she like hurt her head when trying to pry this open but her her leg her knee i believe oh yeah is, but yeah, didn't she yeah. have like a cut on her head mm, possibly I don't but i uh, yeah. they're saying she's sick as well and and in this i was wondering like is she like sudden i i was a little unclear about about this where where i was like is she suddenly like so old that she's getting that she's like losing like i uh, i i guess her her grasp on reality and uh and um like it, i'm not saying she has like dementia or something but is she just like a becoming kind of like a kooky old person who is like kind of caught up in these in these delusions uh or is she just does she seem out of it because she's just like sick, like like what exact? I'm, I, I'm yeah. not clear exactly what's happening I, with Marva. I, I think it's approaching a dementia situation. Is kind of my guess, but I, I don't know. We'll see. Because because she yeah. didn't. She, she seemed, especially if you look at like the like episodes like two and three, she seems extremely lucid, uh, and and she, she knows exactly what's going on. And so I'm just one. Like not a lot of time has passed. Maybe you know, uh, 
a month or so since like uh, mm-hmm. since episode three, and I'm I'm just wondering like how 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 much could her mental state have deteriorated in such a short amount of time? Yeah, uh, I don't know. Then maybe a little closer to like six seven weeks. On that note, Patrick. On that note. A lot of Earth units of time are used in the show and or and in a lot of Star Wars, right? And uh, I, I am part of a Slack group for my uh, podcast, The Filmcast, and I saw a little debate going on there uh, today about, like, why, are, why is everyone using Earth units? This is a galaxy, you know, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, so there's no Earth there, right? Why are they using Earth units for time? And some people in the Slack very reasonably suggested that maybe it's because, uh, like, we are we're not hearing English. They're speaking. They're speaking. I think basic is the is the name of the term, right? Or galactic basic, or whatever it is. And so we are hearing a translation of that when we watch the Star Wars. Um, and so maybe they're also when we're hearing the translation of that, we are also translating it into Earth units, right? Um, y- but that is actually not. What the answer is? Oh, you have the answer. I mean, I mean, insofar as we have any answer, I think. Um, but the answer, I, I think, the in-universe answer. Do you know what it is? Actually, before I before I get into it, no. Okay, um, Patrick, Coruscant is the capital of the galaxy, right? It's also a city that is a planet, as you pointed out. Um, how long do you think a year is on Coruscant? One solar revolution. <laughs> 368 days long. Huh. So uh, they just use Coruscant time for the whole galaxy. And it's really, really close to Earth years, basically, I think is the actual solution. Oh. So. Okay. Yeah. And anyway. the numbers same and everything yeah uh, yeah there you go so where where did you learn that uh that is on wikipedia yeah the Fingers. galactic standard calendar is on wikipedia so well how okay. about that all right moving <laughs> i think you're less delighted with this than i am that's okay <laughs> no I mean, I mean i mean it's a thing where i'm just like nope that all makes sense yeah, yeah, yeah cool yeah. checks out all right, so I, I I was kind of expecting it to be weirder and like mm-hmm. some like crazy thing involving I don't know maybe like the wills or whatever, uh, and so just being like oh that's just uh, Coruscant standard time I was just like oh yeah oh yeah that uh, that's very practical and uh, yeah checks out. All right, so Bix wants to get in touch with Andor because Marva's sick and she wants Andor to know about it because um, uh, Marva's someone that's important to both of them. So in order to find Andor, she goes to her friend Pax's workshop, and she she's like, can I go in the back, which is her code word for, can I go and use this transmitter to try to get in touch with Luthen? Yeah. Same what she way doesn't, that, that, that yeah. we saw her do that in, was it episode one? Uh, yeah, I think that's right. Uh, the thing that she doesn't know is that Dedra Miro is on the case and trying to find who Luthen is. And I think they presumably figured out like that she was trying to reach Luthen and are like in the process of getting to Luthen. Uh, and so there's a scene at Coruscant where Clea says to Luthen, hey, uh, the shop owner from Ferrix is trying to find you. And he's like, well, I'm trying to find Cassian too. Maybe we should talk. And Clea says, no, you are, 
we're at high risk. We're at high vulnerability now. You got to like seal this. You got to tie this all off, right? So he's like, okay, fine, shut it down. So he shuts down the thing. Bix cannot get in touch with Luthen. Um, that's maybe probably the last time they're ever going to speak. But it's not the last time that Bix would ever deal with this because what ends up happening is uh, Dedra Miro's people are on the case. They descend upon Ferex. Uh, they get Pack and Pack's father out. They're like torturing those people. Bix makes a break for it, does not escape. Brasso uh, tries to help. He, he like yep. gets in the way of the stormtroopers. Yep. Also, I gotta say, I, I don't know who the actor is, but the, the Imperial guy who's, who's like screaming at the stormtroopers to oh, like yeah. get her <laughs> is, I'm just like, that is perfect Star Wars acting. He's that, like, get her! You know, he's like, like, also, crazed. you know, a, a, yeah. a, a pasty British guy in an Imperial <laughs> uniform screaming orders. Mm, I'm like, this, yeah. this is what I love. Yeah. And he says, get to, so Brasso says, get to Zorbies. I don't think Bix ever makes it to Zorbies. Just like the greeny Regnov, Revnog, I don't think we're ever going to find out what happened to that. You know, like, um, so anyway, Bix has been captured and she does, Miro does this thing where she's like, I want Bix to see this guy being tortured. And then when Bix comes in, she's like, oh my gosh, you know, get him out of here. I didn't want you to see this. And then I love like Miro's underling being so confused. Like, wait, so should I do this or not? Because didn't you? I would have loved if her underling was like, wait, so did you want me to leave him here or not? Because earlier you said you wanted me to leave him here, right? <laughs> uh, um, that's yeah. that, that was really good. And, and then like this is almost the very end of the episode. We see uh, the door closing behind uh, behind Bix and Miro yeah. the assumption being that uh Bix is going to be tortured for information on Cassie and Andor but the thing that we have not mentioned yet and, and Luthen too, I presume you know oh yeah yeah well, but the thing I, is like, I, I think Luthen's a bigger prize for Miro right now in my opinion oh like, it definitely yeah, is but yeah. you know she doesn't I don't think she knows yet that uh, that Bix knows Luthen or knows Axis. She knows that she knows that Bix knows Cassian, and Cassian is the link to Axis. Uh, really, that that was not my interpretation. Because why were they like torturing pa- Pack and everything like that? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I guess because they knew Andor as well. I um, like, I, yeah. I think it was because I think they uh, were able to figure out that they were like sending a message from his uh, shop. Yeah, yeah, to to who I think they thought was Luthen, though. That's oh, okay. I thought I thought maybe they. I thought it was just the idea that that it was a because do they know that these people have a, a any connection to Axis? Or uh, that's what that's that's what I assumed. That's I assumed okay. that they figured out that 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 sending out the message was trying to get Axis to give them the Imperial Starpath unit, and that's how they traced it to. That's why they tortured Pack. That's why they got Pack's fought. You know, that's why they originally even thought it was Pack in the first place. Um, so, anyway, or 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 actually, the yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I like my assumption was just that that they that they think Cassian is their link to Axis, and these people know, and and and, and their step is get Cassian, then get Axis. Sure. Either um, way, Bix is in trouble. You know, we'll exactly. Leave it at that. But the thing we haven't mentioned yet is that there are more people on Ferex. Indeed. Because Vel and Cinta are there. They got back together. Cinta got off of Aldani. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and they are now basically watching Bix to figure out 
like how to get to Cassian from yes. from her, how to use her in some way. So presumably in uh, in the next episode, there again they are they are go- trying to kill Cassian. Yeah, but I'm, I'm I'm thinking like presumably they're going to get uh bix out or like like rescue her in some way uh if 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 bix has their their bix is only hope of getting out of her current situation um yes i think that's probably right and there's a there's a lovely scene between vel and cinta cinta's like a complete badass in this show it's really becoming clear that 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 what uh what they'd originally said about that that what skeen originally said about cinta being like the hardest of all of them is the truth um you think the empire stops to catch its breath this is a fight to the death uh is, is what cinta says um the struggle will always come first we take what's left i'm a mirror Vel. you love me because i show you what you need to see end quote ah uh, the dialogue's amazing in the show i think but, it's really good also yeah. um i i do not have the script right in front of me like uh or at least i did not take the, quite as extensive notes as you did. Yeah. did is it implied that vel comes from money I don't think so. That's not I, what I. I, I, th- I, I thought I, I. I. I thought I got that from some some of their dialogue. I, I, well, all I got the sense was that Vel is like, hey, she she's like, she wants them to spend time because they've been separated for like weeks probably at this point, and she wants to spend more time with Cinta. Uh, and, and I will say, it is remarkable that we're seeing um, a uh, two female couple in Star Wars, right? Like. It, I mean, this is yeah. Considering it's very how, progressive, right? Yeah. It is. I mean, considering you know, Disney projects have this tendency to you know like make like a like an announcement about how like oh we have uh we have queer representation in I don't know like Beauty and the Beast, and then it's the thing of like oh you mean one vague line of dialogue right. that like Josh Gad has and and uh or and there was a thing where they you know. It got a bunch of attention that Rise of Skywalker was going to have, like, you know, uh, the first, like, I, I can't remember the exact wording of it, but, but, but like, there's a kid, uh, there's a kiss. Well, well, well like, right? they told us there, there was going to be like, oh, actual like queer representation in this yeah. movie, like, like canonically in Star Wars for the first time, and then it's like two characters who like don't even really have names uh, yeah. kiss like in a wide shot um, at like the end of the movie, and that was literally it, and 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 so uh, this th- like this is actually like 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 feels like real representation it's like yes. oh these are actually like fully formed uh characters in like in a gay relationship um that actually care about each other and are like and are not just there to like check a box and make and 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 mean that like disney executives can feel good about themselves by like well you know we put that in there to uh to satisfy the people online yeah. um no, like this is like yeah this is the real thing and it's it's good to see it's also, remarkable. and, and I, I want to say, there's one. There's a beautiful crossfade uh, in uh, in this episode where you see um, Vel. It looks like she's on one of those kind of like uh, like space shuttle things, like the things that uh, that Luthen arrived on, like the buses or whatever. Yeah, um, she's on one of those, and then there's a long crossfade with Cinta, like looking through some shades out a window, and they're yeah. facing each other. Mm. Uh, so like they're separate, but like I think that might be the first crossfade we've seen in the show. 
Uh, mm. And I think it's really effectively done. A really a nice bit of uh, direction from Toby Haynes there. Some decent match cuts in this episode too, I think, um, yeah. if I recall correctly. So yeah, the direction continues to be solid. Uh, okay. Um, so Bix has been captured. Uh, she's in trouble. She's we are no longer rooting for Dedra Miro. Yeah, we're no longer. Dedra Miro is a piece of piece of garbage, and uh, it's unfortunate. So, all right. Finally, uh, before we get to Narkina Five, the only other thing that I want to mention, dude, Academy Award winning actors uh, Forrest Whitaker shows up in this episode playing Saw Guerrera. I know he's in the poster, but I didn't know that he's going to be in this episode. Uh, awesome to see him. He is kind of, you know, Rogue One begins when Jin Erso is a kid and then ends when Jin Erso is an adult. And I think we're seeing at some point probably in between those time periods. Oh, perhaps, uh, right? Yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, again, this is, uh, this is only considering that Rogue One happens like Min- ends minutes before right. episode four begins. Episode four, yeah. And 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 this show is uh, five BBY, meaning before the Battle of Yavin. Which yeah. So basically, this is five years before Rogue One. Yeah, five years before the main action of Rogue One. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, right. Yeah, because there's that flashback scene in Rogue One. But yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, I agree. Um, and it's cool to see Saw Gerrera in this state because by the time he's in Rogue One, his brain is like mush, seemingly. Like I said, he yeah. is so out of it and unhinged and like doing Forrest stuff. Forrest Whitaker actually- is given a really big performance full of uh, choices. Yes, and, in uh, Rogue One. Yeah. And, 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 and in this scene, um, you know, Whitaker still has like he's, – he's got like a voice and everything. But it's like, oh, no. he's But he's like – playing a like a character who can have like dialogue scenes and uh it doesn't just feel like a bunch of like yeah. big over the top ticks agreed agreed um but they're on they meet on segra milo luthan and saw Guerrera, and basically luthan has equipment that he wants to give to saw if saw will meet with his guy anto krieger who has been working on the imperial power station on Spellhouse. And the, what you get a sense of is that Luthen really is going around doing these like massive hits on the Empire, like Aldani Imperial Payroll, the power station at Spellhouse. Like he is like hitting them where he's basically like a, you know a well-funded terrorist, uh, pretty much for uh, you know against the Empire. And uh, Saw Guerrera is not interested because Saw Guerrera is an anarchist, and he gives this amazing monologue where he kind of lists the other components of the rebellion and he basically says all these people this is all just kid stuff compared to what i want right um so he does not want to work with anyone else do you have that list of uh, all the other things that he names patrick oh i have it i have oh, it. You got uh, it the Great. separatists the neo-republicans the gorman front and the partisan alliance are some of the groups that saw guerrera names it's interesting so, so like so the separatists were in the clone wars portrayed as the villains those are the people that count dooku was leading uh i mean of course the irony of the clone wars is that you know palpatine basically uh, engineered it all and there was and there was no good or bad side uh he's controlling everything but yeah, so the separatists were you know were usually who the clones were fighting um and then uh, the neo-Republicans, I guess those are the people who are – who seem to be, I, I guess, the, 
the, maybe the least extreme, the ones who just want the old republic to come back and for uh, – I, I think those are like the Mon Mothmas of this, the ones who, mm-hmm. who just like, oh, yeah, w- want regular ordinary democracy like they had before the Clone Wars to come back. And then the other groups, I think we've heard them mentioned before in previous episodes of Andor, but we don't know a ton about them. Indeed. Uh, but I'm curious if we're going to get a sense of uh, what else – like if Saul Guerrero is going to factor into the other events of this season. Um, we'll see. I, I hope this wasn't just a one-time shot. But it is funny to hear him – And uh, first of all, it's great to see Forrest Whitaker and Stellan Skarsgård together, just like two great actors acting opposite each other. Kind of there's this one-upsmanship of like, did you do the thing? No, you did it, right? Like that's fun to see. Yeah. So. Like, like neither of them uh, is taking credit for Aldani. Yeah. Uh, but also, uh, this guy that that Luthen wants saw to meet with, we haven't met this guy yet, right? Yeah, this is another correct. character that. Uh, uh, what's his name again? Anto Krieger. I Anto believe. Krieger. So presumably, someone that I I imagine we're going to meet before the end of the season. Uh, maybe, maybe, or uh, like I I wasn't sure about that. I think it's it, to me this scene was just to establish that. Luthen has his fingers in a lot of different pies, those pies being ways to blow up the Empire, literally. I, I want to um, meet Krieger, though. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to say that you won't, Patrick. I don't want to say that you won't. Okay. Anyway, that is Luthen and Saw Gerrera. And now we get to the main – now that we're an hour into the podcast, let's get to the main plot line of the episode. That gives the episode its title, Narkina yes. 5. Narkina 5. So we see Andor, we join Andor seemingly moments after last episode. Um, he's going to jail. He's being pushed around. And somebody orders him to his transport on Narkina 5. Well, well I'm, oh, okay. At, 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 it begins on Nyamos. Yes, And then he right. gets in a transport that takes him to Narkina 5. And again, he, he, he keeps just being like, I shouldn't be here. I didn't yeah. do anything. Yeah. Uh, no one cares. And um, and yeah, I, I mean, we we talked about this at the beginning, but he goes to a kind of face-off-esque, uh, like, aquatic, pr- like, prison place. There was a really good smash cut when he's, like, going to the prison, and then, like, the the score, like, amps up super loud, and then smash cut to Karn early in the episode, and you, it's, like, completely quiet in his hall of fuel purity yeah um there's a lot of cross-cutting between those storylines yeah, yes, like yeah. isn't like we're almost seeing like half a scene of one then half a scene of karn back yeah. to andor yeah yeah uh so then i, I love like you know what's remarkable patrick is like they could have just cut to andor arriving like they didn't need to do all this stuff that they did this episode but not only did they do that there was this scene where Andor's on the ship and they're like take your shoes off. And then like they locked them into the shit, you know, like, and it's like, they had to build a whole set just to do the scene where they're on the transport ship. And the primary function of that is to, I guess, show how they confiscated the shoes, but also like get a sense of this impending dread. You have no idea what Narkina five is. We've never heard of this as far as I know. Um, and so you just get this like, Ooh, this is a really uncomfortable feeling. He arrives there and he and his colleagues receive a briefing about the whole thing, which is really well done. You get the sense that that guy's given that speech like 50 times or a thousand times before. Again, a lot yeah. of great, pasty British imperial officers. Yeah. And uh, and we also, we get close-ups of 
their boots. The boots are very important. Yeah, we also yeah, see yeah. reminding me of the wall of gloves from episode one. We have a mm-hmm. uh, a wall of boots, like a rack that that all the boots are on. Which I'm thinking we may. See, Presumably, we know that Cassian is not going to spend his full six-year term <laughs> on this planet. <laughs> I don't think we know anything, Patrick. I, I guess we can't because you're right. Because if this is five BBY, then it's physically years, impossible. He's going, he's going to yeah. die on Scarif. So yeah, yeah. So it's impossible he, for him. He to can't. Be. And so I'm wondering. He needs to meet K two S O and become a captain of the Rebel Alliance. Right. Like there's a lot of stuff that has to happen in the, the five years. Right. There so, is. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm just wondering. Uh, presumably, if there is some kind of escape, if they're like planting that uh, boot rack, uh, because if they need to steal boots to escape the electrified prison. Because uh, what I love here is that they just spend this time, like, teaching us how this prison works, how they don't have blasters. They have, like, little electric prod things, but their main weapon are these just these little, like, like controllers, uh, these devices that just electrify the floor. And right away, when uh, Cassian's, you know, group comes off this transport, um, they, they teach them how it works because they're all in bare feet, and they fry them uh and it looks incredibly painful and then they get ushered into like the main area where uh they show what they're going to be doing where it's like it's this brutal system where like he's assigned to a table and they're all working and building like these like what look like imperial weapon devices uh and but then but there's this like competition system where at the end of the day the the table that comes in last place, like in terms of like productivity, they all get fried. And Cassie, unfortunately, that day gets fried twice. Um, and then it, was it like uh, the table that like wins in their room? Um, they get because it, 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 it's like in their food they get the, the winner gets taste. So they have like this tube that has nutrients, yeah. and it's like the winner gets taste with their food. Uh, and the top table wins flavor. Last place gets fried. It's like the whole, um, uh, f- you know, f- second prize is a set of steak knives. Third prize is you're fired, right? Like Exactly. It's, it's a, the Glengarry leads right. all over again. Because the the setup for, like, their lodging is so interesting. They're not in, like, traditional cells. They're actually yeah. in these pretty clean little, like, bunks where they have, like, you know, they have, like, a, a toilet that flips down. They've got, uh, like, little, like, tubes to, like, suck water and nutrients out of and stuff like that. They have a little screen displaying, like, the number of, uh, basically, like, the debt they have to work off. Um, uh, and everyone recently, because of uh, the, you know, the, 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 the poured, the, the, the poured, poured uh, they had their debts doubled. But what's interesting about it is they don't need bars on the cells because the at night, the hallway just yeah. down the center is just electrified. And so they literally can't. I mean, one we see we, there's this like harrowing scene where in the middle of the night one guy gets up and just commits suicide by stepping onto the floor and they're even saying like oh god now we're gonna have to smell him all night like people are just they're just used to people dying from being electrocuted to death on the floor yes it's well awful you 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 went through a ton of plot real fast there patrick and that's good so we don't need to go over that again but there's a few things i want to point out oh, oh okay there's a bunch i, I just wanted to explain everything yes. about how yes. the prison works appreciate that appreciate that um so 
first of all, Narkina 5, just the look of it is really cool. It looks like a planet that has tons of water but no life. Um, you and see honestly, these, it, it, yeah. I kind of got uh, like slightly less alien Camino vibes, if you remember. Mm, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, Camino, uh, the the planet where the cloners live. Uh, very much right, again, right, 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 yeah, watery yeah, yeah, yeah. planet. Um, but in but, the in the background, you see like these basically like what land looks like on Narkina Five, and it's all like gray rocks. There's no like green anywhere. Um, so cool stuff there uh, i wanted to call out the uh when they electrify the floor for the first time i think they do it so that the guys in like the guys who are getting electrocuted are out of focus um and so you and most of the time you don't really see someone directly getting electrocuted for most of the episodes. so you it is a cool thing where they let you imagine it and it's implied to a, l- a large degree he says our floors are tungstoid steel i looked this up uh, couldn't find any tungstoid mentions online, so I think this might be the could be one of the first introductions of tungstoid seal. Um, there is a really extended sequence where Andor is about to go into the factory floor for the first time, and they're like, "There's all this dialogue that like makes no sense to me." Like, "Oh, so and so is on shift four, and uh, is so and so going to get here?" I think what is meant to be implied is is Andor is like absorbing all that and he's going to use it to break out of the prison at some point, right? Like he knows where the weaknesses are in their the guard schedules and so. It's the thing where um, um considering how exciting our heist episode was, it does make me very excited for a potential prison break episode. I'm extremely excited. I mean this is the thing like the advantage of these three episode arcs is you feel like continuity of s- storytelling and direction in in these three episode arcs like um and I do feel like the show has done a good job of going back to Ferrex checking with Marva like all this stuff but it does feel like kind of pa- kind of uh, Andor is going off on these like anthology like adventures you know as opposed to like this all being one big story sometimes uh so that, that's the, that's a kind of it feels a little bit disconnected where it's like, oh, now he's having another adv- big adventure. This you know, like, right? I, right well, I, I mean, th- I think I have a feeling things are going to come. Well, t- t- to be fair, yeah. he was he was doing the heist with like everybody else, you know, just yeah. a couple episodes ago. Uh, <laughs> so he's only really been off on his own for two episodes now. But I'll, b- b- remember, I. Uh, Many characters are looking for him right now. Mm-hmm, yeah. uh, so, so they'll probably all intersect at the, by the end of the show, right? I like, yeah. I imagine they will because the thing is like the, the thing that's kind of funny right now is you've got uh, the uh, the ISB wants to arrest him and probably interrogate him and torture him for information about Axis. Um, his own. Uh, allies uh want to kill him right now and what no one seems to realize is that oh the empire literally already has him he's just stuck in a prison that is a yeah it's an amazing piece of irony um but i i, I get it. he thinks no one knows his he's once right. using a fake name well let's talk about that keith Girgo is his name and gotta say uh keith Girgo, good star wars name uh, Keith meets a bunch of other people that are part of his table. I'm going to name who those people are right now. Jembok, Zowl, 
Taga, Olaf, Ham, Melshi. Those are the other people at Keith Girgo's stable. Can I talk about Melshi? Yeah, but uh, I just want to say, like, what do you think of those as Star Wars names? Terri- go ahead, uh, terrific names. Uh, I mean, they. This is a show that knows how to do Star Wars names. Uh, yes. Yeah, uh, we're doing a really good job at that. Um, and, uh, but Melshi is an existing character. Uh huh. Uh, are you aware of this? No. Um, Ruscott Melshi is a rebel sergeant in Rogue One, played by the same actor. Oh, crap. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, he, and, and, and that's the thing, he is one of the names listed in the end credits of this episode, played by Duncan Powell. And so, you know... And I, I, Presumably I think I, when there's a prison break... Melshi's going to be among the people who escape. Yes. I don't know if he currently has a connection uh, to the rebellion uh, or if he's just a prisoner who is going to get involved in the rebellion uh, mm-hmm. over the next few years. I believe he dies on Scarif. Um, he, I think he dies in Rogue One, um, mm-hmm. but he is a rebel sergeant. So he has to rise to the level of sergeant, I guess, uh, over the next five years. Um, so yeah, so that there's that character there. Also, it is worth talking about Andy Serkis. Uh, I know we've already mentioned that he's in it, but he has this interesting role as Kino Loy, yes. um, where he is a prisoner. He's in a prisoner uniform, but he's like the prisoner who – is like he's like the the head prisoner who basically is like keeping everyone else in line and uh disciplining them. Uh he's like the prisoner who like who is on the other team and just like working, you know, with the uh the prison guards. Yes, which is a obviously borrowed from real life where often um the people who are being oppressed uh the the uh, the oppressor will use people from that group to to help them out with the oppressing, uh, and I, I did think that was a kind of nod to that. Um, but we've talked about how like everything on Narkina Five feels like it's already been going on for years, and everyone's just kind of like in, you're you're joining it midway through. And uh, I, I f- found that all fascinating. He, so Kino Loy is the unit manager of Fifty Two D, Level Five, Room Two. D is for day shift. Um, and it was a little bit chilling, some of the stuff that Kino Loy said, like that basically he has complete latitude to generate productivity. So you can imagine how this could easily be abused, right? And Or how if someone was sadistic in that position that he would use it to further their own ends in a, in a really horrible, horrifying way. Um, and also that like – Gear, Keith Geargo is like looking out to see who's out the window and he's like they're not gonna you're not gonna see them again they only come back in to pick up the dead and bring in their replacements so it's like oh so people like die regularly enough that you know that that's a thing that happens so people can die while working in these uh, sort of factory floors a key thing that we should mention though is that while when they are uh, being shuttled I guess through these like these hallways between like sections of the of the prison uh uh cassian sees one of the other prisoners making these like hand signals to someone out the window in another hallway and so it seems like there is some kind of coordinated operation happening with messages being sent yes. among the prisoners so potentially 
a prison break could already be in the works. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Indeed. I want to, you know, this episode brings out so many topics to mind that I, you know, I just think are so fascinating. Number one, we watch Star Wars movies, Patrick, and we see millions and uh, thousands and thousands of TIE fighters. And this question, this show answers the question, who's building all those things, you know? And the idea is like, oh, yeah, of course, of course the Empire would employ prison labor, right? And it, it does bring up the specter of prison labor, which is a thing that happens in the United States. Like, pr- prison labor is a, is a real issue in the United States. Um, possibly sometimes, you know, possibly most of the time, like, not under quite as challenging circumstances as what we see in this, in this show. Um, but sometimes probably worse than what we see in this show. Um, but beyond just prison labor, the idea of just, like, kind of, like, this factory labor in general. Um, people who make our iPhones, you know, may not work in vastly different different conditions. Now, they don't have an electrified floor, but they are there to, in order f- to make their own livelihoods. And so I do I do like that again, what I like about this episode this series of Star Wars is that there are so many parallels to our real life and it, it is forcing you to think about elements of our society that are similar to what we see in Andor, right? I totally so. agree. Actually, two things related to that I wanted to mention. Um, One, uh, when we have the scene on Segra Milo with Saw Gerrera, we see some what look like slightly earlier models of X-Wings that they have Mm. there. X-Wings are already a thing. These seem to be like uh, darker colored than like the kind of like off-white ones that we see in the original trilogy. But uh, we do see some docked X-Wings just on the ground outside. But a thing that I was wondering about um, with Narkina 5 and this prison labor um, is that it wouldn't, as much as like the the Empire is evil and, and all that, I would honestly not be surprised if... This system, if this prison and this kind of prison labor existed pre-Empire, because mm-hmm. it's not like this was a like wonderful utopia before Palpatine mm-hmm. rose to power, uh, mm-hmm. and he like suddenly installed prison planets and 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 all these things. Like I, I bet you this was probably still around uh, back in the time of the Republic, which wasn't that long ago. Yeah, but maybe uh, Palpatine made it more oppressive and unpleasant, right? Um, exactly. And, and, and increase I mean, the sentences for people and decrease the chances that they'll get out of there. So. Right. I mean, that, that's the thing. People are There's clearly more people imprisoned and for longer now, but prison still existed. And, uh, and especially like during the Clone Wars, they still had, you know, all these like battleships and fighters and stuff like that that – more maybe being built by a prison labor back then. Yeah. Uh, you referenced earlier the scene where somebody uh, offs themselves. And I thought that was a very fascinating scene because first of all, they have like a term for it already. Uh, it's called, he says, Vimos railed it. Like railing it is apparently something that people can do when they jump onto the floor and, and uh, kill themselves. Um, but the other thing that was fascinating is like, as you said, people were complaining about the smell or that they're going to be one man down for the next shift. Uh, and it's obviously just a really clear sign of how dehumanizing this entire process is. Like when you 
put someone in a situation where they need to be productive in order to survive, that is all they will care about. They will not care about other people's humanity. Uh, and anyway, so just a lot of cool ideas, uh, not cool, interesting ideas, um, thought-provoking ideas being brought up on the show. I mean, so. in this episode, this is just, I mean, it's been said many times before that Star Wars is not really science fiction, that it is like, you know, space fantasy. Um, this prison stuff actually did feel like sci-fi. Science fiction, yeah. Yeah, yeah. This 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 actually felt like a a a plausible like frightening like real world prison system. Yeah, and and basically the best of what sci fi can do is make us reflect on our relationship to technology. And like, if we had this technology to electrify prison floors, like, what would that result in? Right? What are the consequences and implications of that? How would it get people to treat each other differently? Yeah, people wouldn't have as many weapons because you wouldn't need them. Um, but also the systems of – the tools of oppression uh, would be even more intense because like you can literally like have almost virtually complete control over someone's body but not over their mind. Uh, and that's what we see with Vimos offing himself unfortunately. So uh, – and then we see if you see – it flashes forward to 30 shifts later. So Andrew has been there for some time. He says very, very little in this episode. I almost wish they had gone all the way and have him speak no lines. That would have been interesting. Um, but he doesn't, he says very few lines and we just see him kind of integrate. He's kind of shell shocked for most of the episode, like figuring out, like, this is what my life is now, you know? Um, and you know, I, bet, I bet, Patrick, I bet he wishes he had taken Luthen up on that offer or possibly even Skeen at this point. Um, oh, oh, but, oh, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm sure he has a lot of regrets. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it ends, it ends with this uh, cool shot where you're kind of like, you start close up on the table and it kind of pulls back and you see, uh, you know, you see him among the other seven tables and uh, it's, it's actually kind of a mirror to the way the last episode ended with Karn in the, uh, the Bureau of Standards, like just amongst this whole sea of people completely dehumanized by this institution and system that he's part of. Yeah. Um, as in, as in so, w- whether they are prisoners or whether they empl- are employees, everyone is in these soulless dehumanizing environments uh, because of the Empire. Yeah, indeed. Any closing thoughts, Patrick Willems, on this episode of Andor? Um, I am just, uh, once again, it is... Uh, I'm still just blown away by how good this show is, and it's always it's it's you know not 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 to get too much into like oh fandom and reactions and stuff like that, but like every so often when I encounter someone on the internet talking about how boring they find the show, I'm always like, wow, like what we we, we do we it does feel like we're watching totally different shows and we're we want totally different things from them. Because, uh, like, this has, you know, a lot less, a lot lot fewer, like, shootouts and car chases than, let's say, The Book of Boba Fett did. And I found, I find this, like, a hundred times more exhilarating, even when Mm -hmm. it's just people in rooms talking. Um, Loving it. Can't wait. And I, I still think the, it is kind of a, like, 
hilarious irony that Cassian ended up in this horrific prison uh, because he went on vacation and was just walking down the beach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, that's something that I think uh, we didn't put enough of a point on last week, which is that Mothma was concerned at Luthen's actions because she said people will suffer. And Luthen wants that to happen. Luthen, Luthen wants it to happen because if people, and I think Saw and Luthen talk about this in this episode too, like if people are discomfited enough, that is, it is only when they are not comfortable that people will take action, basically. And you need to make them uncomfortable, and in order to make them uncomfortable, you need, make, you need to make them suffer. And that's what Luthen's trying to do, and, and I think it does light a fire under Mon Mothma a little bit, because she kind of tries to get this money moving and stuff like that, but anyway... It, it's also worth pointing out that uh, Luthen says that from a, a real p- comfortable position of privilege where yes. he's like, oh, yeah, I mean, uh, what, you know, these events that I, I put into, into, into action um, are causing um, suffering throughout the galaxy. Uh, not for me personally. I'm, you know, living my cushy life on Coruscant here and um, I'm doing fine. But like a bunch of people uh, in like – uh, with like a lower status in society, they're going to be like imprisoned and tortured and stuff like that because of this, and that'll make them want to rebel. But I'm just I'm I'm still living the high life up here. So like, he's not suffering because of this as much as yeah. he he has good intentions, uh, and he's fighting the good fight. He is basically, uh, you know, he is causing the suffering of um of 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 uh. Yeah, people who are not in like the I'm not saying he's in the 1%, but people who are less people whose lives are already tough, he's making them tougher. Right. I'm curious like what I'm curious to learn more of Luthen's motivations later on. He does talk a little bit about them in this episode. He says like to Saul Guerrero, I'm a coward. Uh I I just don't want to see the empire gain too much power to the point where they are out of control. But that we don't really know that much about Luthen's motivations, right? So what is Luthen's rebellion, basically, is the question. So why is he rebelling? But I'm hoping we'll get some answers on that. I, I, I bet we will. Yeah. I mean, I mean uh, and, this is the thing. I'm, I'm really hoping we get uh, Cassian and Luthen in a scene together again. Yeah, yeah. Uh. Also, like as we're we're now approaching the end of the season, Patrick, we only have what four episodes left. I think um, it's been what what a whirlwind time it's been doing the podcast with you. Uh, but I am curious if we're going to return to the uh, Cassian Andor's sister subplot that opened the show. Like she uh, Marva did mention it last episode. I uh, I think said, we will. Like, yeah, and said like, "Hey, don't look for your sister anymore. It's like she's dead. There's no way she's alive." Um, but it really feels like we got to start picking that back up if we're going to resolve it this season. Maybe it's not going to resolve this season. Maybe it's going to be a season two thing. Hey, but. maybe his sister just happens to be on Narkina 5. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mm-hmm. look, I don't think they would have literally began the show. The first thing that that, that we yeah. see is him trying to find his sister, then have those flashbacks over the first three episodes to to his childhood – with his sister there, uh, and then have Marva mention it again in episode seven. Um, I think this is all. I think Tony Gilroy knows what he's doing, and I have faith that it will all pay off. 
All right. So say we all. Hey, maybe the horrifying reveal will be that his sister uh, is uh, an like an imperial officer. Mm. Is Patrick? Are you gonna say is, is Dedra- Cassian and or his sister Didra Miro? No. <laughs> Uh, because Dedra Miro is, and I say this as a, as a, I'm a, ve- I'm a very white person. Yes, I'm, a, yes. I'm, I'm Irish. I have like pasty yeah. pale skin. Dedra Miro is maybe the whitest person in existence. Uh, <laughs> no, she is not Diego Luna's sister. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, uh, she had. You know, cosmetic surgery to, maybe, to maybe, fit in more with the empire. Maybe people. the empire is so racist that uh, yeah. <laughs> that 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 they're doing like race conversion, yeah, uh, th- yeah. Like, like treatments. No, on but people. you're probably you're, you're probably right. It's probably not the Jermaine. Wouldn't that be an amazing twist, though? Okay, oh, no, we're no, not going to no, talk wait, about wait, it again. Wait, no, no. David, David, I've got the final line of the season for you. Okay, hit me. No, I am your sister. <laughs> <laughs> look, look, uh, it's like poetry. Cut, it rhymes. Cut to credits. It rhymes. <laughs> there is another. Okay. Anyway. Okay, we're not we're not topping that. We should wrap this episode up. Indeed. Podcast.decodingtv.com is where you can find more episodes of this show. Follow us on Twitter, YouTube, TikTok, at DecodingTV, and email us. Let us know what your thoughts were on this episode at DecodingTV at gmail.com. Love the follow-ups. Until next week, he is Patrick Willems. I am David Chen. We'll see you later. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.